Hello, and you're listening to STFU, We Are Not Done Talking Yet, with your hosts, Danielle Warman and Charlotte Gabert. In our podcast, we discuss current events, popular culture, writing, books, movies, and women's lives. Hi, listeners. Uh, it's Danielle and Charlotte back at uh, season two, episode one of Shut the Fuck Up. We are not done talking yet. I got to tell you, we've had a nice run of it so far. The last we looked, we had 1,920 separate listens, which frankly is a miracle. We had no idea that anyone would necessarily listen. We had said that our first show, that our husbands might listen. That's uh, listen. right. It turns out that all sorts of people are listening. We still have a only 3% listenership in Canada, and that's because it's a friend of mine. So Canada, let's go. I'm going right, to push it up there. And I'm going to push it on my European relatives. Yeah. And that's the least they could do. Jawohl. Jawohl. I believe they hail from the German old country. Jawohl. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Plus my, my 8 jillion expat friends. In so, China. In well, Shanghai. Mostly they're in the UK now. They've left. They've left. They went back. Like me. So All right. Not, excellent. So, so well, let's, tell me about your summer, Sharla. Yeah. Well, let's see. We went to Esalen together. So you know that we had a really fun time there. We had a great time in the baths. Kale. Lots of kale. Kale salad. Kale for breakfast. Kale everywhere. Yeah. Kale, kale everywhere. Everyone at Esalen is very regular. That's true. And it's amazing how many different ways they can prepare kale. You know, kale and quinoa for breakfast with a hard-boiled egg. Now, of course, I didn't actually make it to breakfast this year, but I have in the past. And uh, I do remember that that was a really good breakfast. Yeah, this year I was super lazy and I had breakfast in the room. I brought my own coffee maker and my own snacks. But Danielle got up. She went to breakfast every morning. I went to breakfast every morning. And I, I do um, concur with Charlotte that she did not make it to breakfast once. And um, I'll just give her a little out here because it's very far away. Our room is the better part of a half a mile away from the dining room. So, you know, there's a hill involved. <laughs> yeah, there's a hill down and then a bridge and then a hill back up. Yeah, and she's just not going to deal with that. But she's so nice. She let me share her coffee. So I had coffee with her. And then I went to breakfast and then I came back and we had our first session over near our place. Yeah, we were lucky because the big white tent is like about 50 feet from our room. So I could just roll in there after my coffee and after sitting outside watching the ocean and looking at the birds. It's delightful. It is. Now, I personally, this year, did not write anything so good at Esalen, whereas the year before was groundbreaking for me. Mm -hmm. I wrote some stuff and had some real neat, like, flashes back into my past. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I had one thing that I wrote that I really, really liked that I probably wouldn't have written if I weren't there. But, I mean, I think in some ways I like going there just because I love the teachers, we were like super happy this year. We had um, Lydia Jokinovich was the first time she'd been there. And she's a fantastic teacher and just a really cool presence. So sometimes it's just, I think, maybe more about the teachers and the other students as opposed to exactly what you write or don't write. 
But I did have, yeah, I had a really good breakthrough with her class. She was into writing triptychs where you like made a bunch of words, picked three words, and then sort of free wrote about each of those words and then figured out how they all went together. It was like really getting your subconscious to do all the work. And it was super fun because I didn't know exactly what I was going to write when I, but I actually have a piece from there that I need to assemble and finish <laughs> like all the other pieces yeah. that I started. Journals and journals and journals full. And then a lot of writing on, I'm going to show Charlotte because we're hanging out here, a folder called writing. <laughs> just <laughs> generic, just yeah. writing. Writing. So there's, and then, and then apparently I didn't realize this. I have published 27 different pieces on Medium. On Medium. Yeah. Of That's course, no amazing. one sees them. Yeah, no one sees them. Well, I'm sure someone's following you. I People do. People follow me. No one claps for them. Did you make any money? Like a dollar well, or two? Well, similar to um, what we're making on Anchor, because I ran right. that silly 30-second ad, $3. This yeah. past month, they made 21 cents. Well, you know, sooner or later, we can afford that extra cup of coffee and fills. <laughs> Every little bit helps. That's okay. You know, I think we're just doing what we can do. Right? Right. And it's okay if people didn't read my Medium. I do run my Medium uh, links through Facebook um, so that some people looked at it. It's okay. And then I have my blog and you as have well. Your so I do them on both. Unless there are really inflammatory stories about my family and I can't put them out yet or I haven't figured out how to put them out and then deal with what I'm my mom's not going to see it, but my siblings. So, I mean, I mean, I'm not going to yeah. do that. I'm going to, it's, it's a, it's a thing, you know, like you have, you feel the same way, but you know, at least you're posting and publishing. Yeah. Pretty, you know, on a re pretty regular basis. And that's, that is a lot of work just to get it up there. That's more than I can say that I've done. Yeah. But I'm busy. I'm working on my memoir in July. Yeah. July. Yeah. I guess it was July. I started this great class called Write Your Memoir in Six Months, and it's with Brooke Warner and Linda Joy Myers. Linda Joy is like the founder of the National Association of Memoir Writers, and Brooke is uh, the publisher of She Writes Press. Um, mainly she publishes women, I believe, and at any rate, the class is pretty good, and it's really structured, and it's supposed to get you to Write 60,000 words. Oh, and so how, how long is this course? Six months. Six months. Wow. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of people who are taking it a second time and probably even a third because you can probably get a first draft done in six months. But, um, you know, most people are kind of moving along at their own pace. And I think in the end, if you got a manuscript together, that would be actually pretty miraculous. You know, but they're they're very focused on getting a book done. So they have lots of helpful hints about like creating chapter files that are called chapter one, chapter two. Just go ahead and put them in your computer, even though there's nothing in there. You know, create folders as if, yep, you're going to have chapters. They also have a method called scaffolding where you kind of write out, I guess you would call them synopses of where you think the book's going to go chapter by chapter, scene by scene. So that really makes you think about how you're going to build it all together and 
it's just scaffolding as in it's going to help you get where you're going. You don't have to necessarily always follow it, but you kind of constantly revise it as you go and keep building the scaffolding, which supports you in writing your book. So they've got some very good techniques, I think. That's cool. So yeah, other than that, let's see. Other things that we did this summer. You got to go to Canada. Yeah, I just got back from my trip to Canada. I went on a hybrid visit, a beautiful lodge on sorry, Lake Superior. And in addition to that, go on a four-day, three-night canoe trip with my NIA friends from the uh, or Toronto, the greater Toronto area, GTA, who, you know. Do they really call it that? Yes. Yeah. So, but anyway, wow. they're from uh, Burlington also, some of these people. Anyway, and they're, you know, they're Canadian, so they're super outdoorsy and, you know, have like red at the ready with paddling gloves. Right. And their own personal life jacket <laughs> to go wherever. So uh, anyway, I had to borrow those things. No, I had to buy paddling gloves um, at REI before I left. Uh-huh. But we had a wonderful time on our camping trip. It was 10 women plus two guides on a 36-foot canoe, a fiberglass canoe that's a replica of um, the canoes that the fur traders used originally when they were riding around on the Great Lakes, yeah, killing the fucking beavers. Oh, but okay. Right. But anyway, I digress because the beavers, you know, are still around and they needed something to wear. They need something to wear. It's cold up there. True. True. They just probably took more than their share. And then I also did not hold so much against the the, the fur traders because I imagine that they were, uh, maybe they were unfair with the indigenous people like other European folks were, but then it's still forbears the end of their, their self, you know, were everything, the end of them, that what they were, a strong people who lived off the land and then these terrible colonial people came and messed that all up. And you better believe they messed it up just as much in Canada as the United States did. Yeah. Cause I, I wondered, cause mm-hmm. I just didn't know. I didn't know anything about it. So, yeah. And we had um, a, a half a day uh, healing ceremony with the Michipicotan tribe with the, the healing, sorry, the tribal elder who Phoned up some of her women friends from different areas of Canada. I think they all came from Ontario also. And we had a water ceremony against the front of the fire and they poured water on each person. And I smoked the peace pipe or we all did. It was unbelievable. Um, And I was truly honored to have them welcome us into their space. That Um, is very cool. Yeah. And we danced Nia with them. So the three teachers who uh, were there, we all um, taught part of our routine. Um, And they danced with us a little bit. A couple of them were tired. But one woman did it to the end, and she loved it so much. She really found her joy. Um, It was sweet. That is cool. Nia is like that. A lot of times I think when people discover Nia, they say, where has this been all my life? You know, it's just kind of, it's a kind of such a freeing dance that if you want to move your body to music at all, Knee is the way to go. It is very freeing. It's very freeing. Um, totally a sidebar here, but our Nia friend Laura Godoldig was in Barcelona this summer. I don't know if you saw on Facebook that she took a class in um, flamenco. Flamenco. Mm-hmm. I did see it. Yeah, yeah. I think I talked to her. She said it was super fun. And of course, I had to tell her I used to take flamenco classes and I had all the gear. I had the skirt, 
I had the shoes. I had the little clicky things. But then I discovered Nia. So I sold my gear to somebody else who was in the, the class. <laughs> I know. It's, those other dance forms, are you really have to commit to it to a while to get uh, good at it, like, you know, tango, yes. et cetera. And Nia's a little more accessible. Like, oh, I can do that. It's a cross front cha-cha, you know, the, right. a little more. Yeah. Not that, you know, so that people really need, you know, to study to be a flamenco dancer. Well, the, a lot of the people in my flamenco class had studied ballet, jazz. I mean, they were all really experienced dancers in other dance forms. So it was sort of silly. I got into flamenco because my husband invited me to go to a flamenco performance. And I don't even know why, but he was like, let's just go see this. It'll be fun. And halfway through the performance, he turned to me and he goes, you should do this. I was like, yeah, I could do this. I could see myself doing it. You know, a lot of that pounding of your feet. (laughs) So I did take flamenco lessons for a while um, from a lady in Walnut Creek, Carolina Luga, who had her own tour, her own company. But it really wasn't for me. It required too much skill. And then I discovered Nia. Mm. So then let's see. Well, like while you were in Canada, what was I doing? Oh, I got a CT urogram. I got a breast ultrasound. <laughs> I know. I got a bladder biopsy in August. I was having so many medical things going on. And, oh, yeah. And I don't even know if I told you I had heart palpitations. So I had to get an EKG and something else, echocardiogram. And then for 14 days, I had to wear a Zeo patch on my chest and then mail it back. Yeah, I know. And Were they haven't got the results yet. They, you don't have results Heard yet. nothing. Heard nothing yet. Yeah. And yeah, results were just rolling in. I had a sleep study that I did. <laughs> I know. I know. I was knocking them off because I had like this pent up medical list of things to do. So I got the sleep study, got my two crowns put on. Yeah, I was doing dental things. You, I know. Didn't, you didn't have a joint replacement that you're hiding from me? Honestly. I really, that's the only thing I didn't do. Retinal surgery? No, I haven't had any eye issues yet. Bunions? Bunions. No, (laughs) feet are still good. Feet are awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, sorry for the onion. um, The onion. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Sorry for the organ recital listeners. Wah, 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 wah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, you know, when you get to be this age, I'm sorry. It is sad but true. Sometimes when you get together with your friends, it turns out you're just talking about all of your medical issues. So I don't know what I'm going to be talking about when I'm 80 because I I think everything will be have taken care of by then. I can't wait. Yeah. I'll still be your friend, even if you're still telling me about your organs. You'll have to come I'll still be you'll have to come visit me in the old folks' home. <laughs> Because you're younger, thank goodness. Now, wait, when are you going to turn 60? Mm. I'm 20, 25. 2025? Dude, oh. I'm only 54. Oh, gosh. All right. All right. That's perfect. I know. It's I'll, good to have younger friends. I know. You. I'll come over and, you know, blow your nose. Stuff awesome. like that. Whatever you need. Pluck the hairs off of my chinny chin chin because I won't be able to see them. I'll do that. All right. Awesome. If I still have eyesight because my <laughs> eyes got really bad the last few weeks. What do you think that's from? Medication. 
So I'm going to segue into the oh, Danielle medication. Summer um, yes. update, not again regarding my health, which is I talked about in um, episode 15, is that I began ketamine treatments for depression at the very beginning of June. And they went nicely, or I had I had a couple, there was a little bit of a break between the first ones because my doctor was away. But I had, let's say, two in June, and then, I don't know, three or four in July, and some in August before I went on my trip to Canada. And it was just that last one that, like, bumped me up where mm-hmm. I felt absolutely fine. And I'm also taking a new antidepressant, that, in a, as well as all the other antidepressants that I'm taking and bipolar medications with the ketamine. <laughs> and something worked, and it has been three weeks that I feel awesome. Um, so I really going on this whole, I really am going to go off on how great ketamine is and more people should have access to it. A lot of people don't even know what it is. Mm-hmm. Some people have heard of it because it's a party drug. Right. Some people have no idea. Um, and a lot of doctors are not into it. And they think, you know, the other psychedelics are also worth exploring. I hear really good things about um, LSD and mushrooms mm-hmm. that people, even one or two experiences have someone's outlet, sorry, outlook totally brightens. So it really needs to be looked at more seriously. Yeah. I mean, it's made such a difference in your life and you were just trying everything and you had to put up with it for such a long time. Yeah. In this last few years, it was way too much. I've been depressed other times in my life, but these last two and a half years have been um, quite dreadful. And I was going to say one more thing. Oh, Johns Hopkins is opening a department to study psychedelics for depression. So that's brand new and they have a bunch of money. So that I hope that helps. But, you know, really, it's just the availability. Um, I'm paying um, $600 for a two-hour two appointment to have the ketamine um, done with an injection and then talk to my doctor. And it's not going through insurance. We're paying that out, out of pocket. Right. And a lot of people cannot afford that. Yeah. So, of course, it's not accessible. And then someone who can, it's like, yay, good for you. You know, I keep telling people I'm in this depression group on Facebook. And I keep mm-hmm. telling them to do GoFundMe. So, I just Absolutely. tell your friends, I really need to go in for ketamine and I don't have any money. I would freaking give them money. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, so I don't know if anyone's ever It would be money well spent. Yeah, it's sad. And you, But you got a combination of ejections and then also some pills right? That you had like compounding pharmacy. Right, right. So I was doing it at home as well. I forgot to say that. I did it at home twice a week, all of this time. Um, Lozenges that are, I ate and the dosage, it's not as strong as having an injection, but it's also, it was pretty psychedelic experience. And then the last thing I've tried is the nasal spray, which has come on the scene. The nasal spray is more widely available through pharmacies because Johnson and Johnson is making it and that has no um, psychedelic effect except for a tiny bit of diz- dizziness. Mm-hmm. So that's the kind of thing, you know, no one has to miss work. Right. You spray some stuff up your nose. Right. And maybe you'll feel better. That would be How hard is miraculous. That? No, that's awesome. Yeah. Is ketamine something that you will take or use forever? Or is it just based on your symptoms? It's based on my symptoms. So for now, I'm still taking it twice weekly at home. Mm-hmm. I'm not seeing my doctor for one month. 
Wow. So I saw him two days ago and he said, come in in two months. Sorry, one month. So then after that, it's assessed per patient. If someone keeps needing it forever right. or I don't need it at all. Right. I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, it sounds like it's a total reset. You know, yes. it really changes things, kind of flips a switch. It does. It heals um, cells in your brains. It makes cells come together that are broken, that are apart for some reason. I'm probably explaining that really bad. So if you're a neurosurgeon, I apologize. <laughs> um, but it's something that's permanent. It's not like, oh, I'm taking an SSRI, serotonin, something, uh, something reuptake re inhibitor yeah, uh -huh. that makes you, the serotonin activate again in your system. And then as soon as you're not activating it, you could just go back to right. feeling as bad as you are, or some other people feel fine. They take it for six or months or a year and then they're, they don't need it. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But this apparently is mending the little things permanently. Yeah. That is really an amazing thing. Cause it's such a different approach. Yeah. Like Prozac. I've been taking Prozac mm, since I was late twenties. Yeah, I guess, you know, I'm like a human guinea pig as far as Prozac. So the idea that you could take something that would sort of totally fix your brain is pretty exciting. Yeah, it is. I'm psyched to hear that Johns Hopkins Medical School is going to actually study the effect of ketamine and other kinds of drugs like that because they need to do some studies and they also need to do it with a prestigious medical institution. So people won't just think, oh, it's a party drug. Right. Like, oh, you could do the, go to Burning Man and oh, do this. But can, yes, you can go to Burning Man and do this. And then you might feel better. Yeah, you and might. And you might be wearing a pink tutu. <laughs> At the same time. At the same time. But let me just tell you this. Yes, John Hopkins is doing a study. So they're doing a more prolonged study. Do you think this hasn't already been studied at Stanford, Yale, and Harvard? I've read all these articles. Yeah. I'm like a, you know, internet slut for ketamine articles. I'm right. there all the time. They've already been studied. And then they go, oh, there's no control because you can't not give someone, you know, oh. a psychedelic. So then, you know, but the doctors who are using it, they said 80% of people are helped. Yeah. Well, so that's a pretty study good. that. Study that, motherfuckers. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, you know, I well, I think sometimes also doctors who are busy practicing medicine, they just get into a rut and they do what they've been doing for decades. They either have not the time, the energy or the whatever to go study and experiment with new things. Yeah. You know, they just reach for the tried and true, even if it's not working. I really think that doctors need to open up their eyes a little bit and stay up to date on things that are new, that have come along, that aren't that new, that are things that have been studied for like 10 or 20 years now. I, you know, that's just, it's ridiculous how long it takes for these new things to make their way into regular medical mainstream practice. Right. There's a website called uh, Ketamine Advocacy Network, which I've looked at several times and they say that in one of their pages it says medical professionals keep up with your profession or psychiatrists mm -hmm. please keep up with your profession and it also has a little tally at the top corner 
where it tells you just while you've been sitting there looking at your computer, how many dollars have been spent on mental health and how many people have killed themselves Yes. while you're sitting there looking because, because they're using all these different things to try to help people when something very inexpensive, the ketamine, the horse tranquilizer crap, it's not expensive. Yeah. Ask any druggie who's taken it at Burning Man. It's not... Um, so that's just a crazy Well, thing. I hate to say this, but it's entirely possible that the fact that it's cheap means there's not enough money in it for the pharmacological big pharma to push it, right? Exactly. Like, they tend to go for things that have really big profit margins. I know myself, I'm getting BCG immunotherapy for my bladder cancer. This is basically the basilicus that... Um, it's, it is really, it's a vaccine and it's a, it's something that a friend of mine who's at MIT said, I could make this in my kitchen. It's really cheap. Well, guess what? There's a shortage of it. So people who've got bladder cancer are having trouble getting enough treatments and getting enough BCG. The reason there's a shortage is because it's just not that profitable. There's one manufacturer of it and it's too cheap. It's like, it's not profitable enough. So that's, they're not making enough of it. Absolutely agreed. So that's like really, really lame and really wrong. Right. And here's one more thing. Um, I got that new spray, which was from the compounding pharmacy, not from uh, Johnson and Johnson's new brand Spravato, the spray that came out this past spring. Mm -hmm. And apparently some doctors are saying that their patients can't do it at home, that they have to do it at the doctor's office so that they know how much they're putting up their nose. Mm -hmm. And that is just another way for the doctor to bill for their treatment. Yep. It is absolute crap. Anyone could do it at home. Is there a tiny bit difference that's going to go in your nasal membrane? Yes, because maybe you have snot in your nose or not. But the medicine's getting used and maybe this person can get better rather than going to your doctor's office. Who has time for that? Exactly. And what exactly what value is the doctor providing to monitor how you use a nasal spray? Go take, I go mean, have honestly, a different patient. Go get, you know, yep. get a different patient. What it, it's just crap. So they're all in cahoots together. We know that. I'm a big the conspiracy conspiracy theorist, which you know may or may not be appropriate, but I just don't think that's well, helping anyone. It, it's unfortunately when basically the profit motive is the number one driver of the health industry. And I don't even know why we call it health because it's really the disease industry. I mean, there's a lot more money in people being sick than in health. That's right. Ooh, just one right? more thing about this. Yeah. More people are sick than in health. The, my doctor told me that Kaiser was using ketamine for both psychiatric conditions, uh, sorry, um, illnesses and pain, right? It also works for pain management. Really? So, so they, they were letting some pain, man, some pain patients go to hospitals and they're giving them an IV and seeing if it helped them, mm -hmm. but they don't have enough space or people to do like rooms of infusion patients that take two I hours see. each. Like right. they would have to build a new facility. Like a dialysis, rooms. like a giant facility. Like a bigger place. So they, maybe they could see 10 people at a time and help them from their depression. The ketamine itself would cost not very much. They would right. have to pay staff. 
And that is a real shame because that's like a huge, you know, like they see zillions of uh, patients all over the country. Well, I write this very moment. I have a friend who, a mosaic friend who is in terrible pain. She's a Kaiser patient and she's like living on opioids. Bummer. And she's, they don't give her enough. So her friends just give her like leftover Tylenol and codeine from the dentist. Yeah. Yeah. And they don't seem to have a pain clinic that they, that Kaiser will do. And it's ridiculous. She's barely functioning. It's been this way for like months now. That's terrible. I know. Well, let's, let's try to end on an up note as far as ketamine, because you wanted to tell us a little bit about an upcoming website that you are working on. Ketamine queen. Yes. I, when I was in one of my ketamine uh, experiences, tripping my brains out, FYI, it's really fun. I had the notion that I have to have a website called ketaminequeen.com. And I bought the URL right away and I haven't done anything with it besides make a title and tried to upload some, you know, trans and dental-ish cool pictures. But I'm going to use it for, um, yeah, for ketamine, ketamine advocacy. Um, I also made a Ketamine Queen's Instagram handle. Excellent. And I'm, I'll make a uh, Facebook page also for it. So yeah, I'm just going to start trying to find more people who have done it and get some more stories, mm-hmm. talk about it here. People want to talk about it here on our podcast. And uh, yeah, it's going to be good. Just spread the word, you know? If you are depressed and listening to this, call me. Don't we have it? Does this thing have, can people email us via our... Hey, yeah. There is a technology thing where from this podcast... Um, somehow you can actually email us, right? Don't ask me how it works, but theoretically you can like comment on our podcast. All right. I'll find it in my app and I'll explain further. I'm just not going to do it right now. You know, we can also just remind people we've got a Facebook page about shut the fuck up. Ask your doctor Mm -hmm. if shutting the fuck up is right for you. (laughs) That's right. And the Facebook page, you could easily get in touch with us, especially Danielle. Yeah, great idea. You should definitely call Danielle, get in touch with her if you have got any questions about ketamine, if you're feeling depressed, if you're feeling suicidal. You know what? September is Suicide Prevention Month. Yeah, I wish I had thought about it before because we could be giving out the 800 number. There is such a number. Of course there is. We will find it. Maybe we'll even look for it right now. Yeah, there's, um, I read the reason I know this is because somebody I met at Esalen a couple of years ago lost his sister to suicide about two and a half years ago. And he has been doing fundraising to help prevent suicide ever since. He's got a website called Active and Running. If you want to check it out and yeah, he's trying to prevent anybody else from committing suicide and prevent other people from losing their friends and families. Because once it happens, it is a life changing tragedy that the survivors have to live with. 
Okay, so now we've got the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. Phone number 800-273-8255. Well, I feel like we might have finished up our very first episode after vacation. Yeah. From what I can tell, we've got good grief, almost 30 minutes. So I think we could wrap it up. What do you think? I think we can wrap it up. Everybody, we'll see you next week. We're going to make another show next Thursday. Um, So have a good week, and we'll see you then. Ciao for now. Ciao for now. Bye. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. You can get more information about it on facebook.com backslash Sharla Danielle podcast. Thank you.